It's my first experience going to a playoff game. I was blown away. Literally blown away by the physicality, the speed, the intensity of it. How do you continue to build upon marketing top tier players to create more more momentum behind how incredible the sport is? It's about getting more and more attention. It's about having ways for current fans and new fans, introducing them to the game. That's why puck and player tracking NHL Edge has become increasingly valuable, not just to broadcasters, but to create data where fans can get inside the game. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Four o'clock hours here. Gary Bettman on uh, ESPN National Morning Show. Jay Williams with a question there about marketing the sport. And uh, Gary Bettman with his uh, his answer. Uh, being on ESPN is the massive part of it. Anyone, any sport that is on ESPN, you're going to get the love. And for all you folks out there who want to throw out the joke, like, does anyone watch ESPN anymore? You know you do. So shut up. And hockey needs ESPN. And yes, as we called it, was no stroke of genius when they made the switch from NBC, which was dying on a vine. Going to ESPN was going to be just massive. We got hockey coming up this hour. More of the Bettman conversation. Want to remind you that coming up on Saturday, 11 to 1, 11 8 1 p. I'll be at Finley Chevrolet just off the 215 between Rainbow and Jones. They've got a massive pre owned vehicle sale in the tent outside. So beautiful weather. I'll be there from 11 to 1 with prizes 11 8 1 p. Finley Chevrolet with ESPN Las Vegas. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Four at Four. Number four. Simplistic, but great tweet from Brandon Tierney on baseball and what they're used to in markets that really love baseball. And it's, you know, it's become more of a regional sport. But man, where baseball is big, they have a passion for it. And what's going on in Oakland right now, we're keeping an eye on it. You know, with the question, like, do we want this team? Do we want this organization with what they're doing to their fans? They come here, they're going to be any different. Uh, but Brandon Tierney tweeted out, overall vibe at A's games is absolute saddest and most pathetic sight in all sport. Nothing even close. Empty, dilapidated stadium, aside from a few diehards. They love their team, yet there is zero hope in that stadium and city. Beyond sad, and the picture is of a very empty Oakland Coliseum with probably 1,000, if I'm getting real aggressive, fans. It looks more like 500, maybe 400. It's completely pathetic. And I've mentioned over and over again, uh, Bobby Manfred, the commissioner, should be embarrassed, and the owners of baseball should be embarrassed. I'd be pissed off if I was throwing money at the Oakland situation in RevShare, and they're not even going to try. At least spend the money we give you on a payroll. This is horrific. Yeah. they. Uh, I'm looking at the attendance numbers, and it's quite clear that Angels fans made their way north for the season opening series because it ranged between 14,000-plus to 26,000-plus. 26,805 was the season opener. Then Cleveland comes to town. Obviously, Cleveland fans aren't traveling, right? And there's probably not a Cleveland fan base. The uh, the the attendance range was from 3,035 as high as 4,930. They go on the road. They come back. There must be a Mets fan base because it's New York. Because that listed attendance was between 11-1 and 17-6. And now the first game against the Cubs, 4,700. So you can see those are visiting fans that were there for the Angels, there for the Mets. Outside of that, they're not getting more than four. uh, They're not even hitting the 5,000 plateau. 
it's just a sad situation, as you said, because they're doing nothing on their end to try. The Mets fans showed up. They got to sign up for uh, their uh, new pitcher, Senga, the, whatever his ghost pitch is. They got yeah. a little sign up, and I'm sure policy at the stadium is can't put signs up. So you see security coming over and taking the sign down for the Mets fans. It's like they came and actually paid. They want to be here. You're going to bust their horns? Does it really matter? I don't think that it's getting in anybody's view. It was taped to a wall. Oh, even worse. Like, it wasn't the outfield wall. It was like, a, I don't know, some Barrier, wall, yeah. wall up the line. Like, not in play. Like, what are we doing? And oh. then they're, they're going to come here with hat in hand or Nashville and Salt Lake and go, oh, we're, we're, that's not us. Really? Well, and the other thing is they, they're, they're, they're going to come here or wherever, and they think that they're just going to automatically draw all of a sudden. Because this is painting a picture, like you said, on the organization. All of a sudden, they're just going to get start getting twenty five, thirty thousand. 30000 I don't think it's going to happen. Number three. You know, in talking to Darren Millar, we pointed out that Aiden Hill got all three starts very early in the year against the Peg. Mm-hmm. So with Winnipeg and the Knights on deck, earlier start tonight, can we say it's Brassois against Hellebuck? Yeah, we can. You you feel pretty confident that Brassois is going to get most of the starts, or is this going to be more of a rotation? No, like, I think, I wonder how long his leash is. Well, I think <clears throat> that's a good question. Right, it's tough. It well, it's tough. It's tough if you if if he's getting swatted around. I mean, but if if he's losing two one games and he's not getting any offense, let's put it this way: I just submitted my awards ballot to the NHL. Right, the end of the season awards. Connor Hellebuck is going to be up for the Vesna. That's a that's that's a slam. I mean, he he's let me let me rephrase that. I don't know if he's going to be a finalist, but he's going to be on people's ballots. So, you know, as far as what he's done, because now we don't vote for that, but we do vote. Part of our votes are NHL All Star team. So you have you know x amount of forwards, right wings, left wings, goalies are included. Connor Hellebuck's going to get some votes for that All Star team nomination. And for the Vesna, he's going to be on balance. So he's one of the best goaltenders in the league this season. So if he's beating the Golden Knights or if he's holding the Golden Knights and it's a close series, but the Golden Knights aren't producing offense, you can't blame Brassois. You know, and depends on how which goals are going in. Were were they shots deflected? Were they you know, there's a lot of different extenuating circumstances. Now, if this dude gets torched, different story. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. Bruce Cassidy has the luxury of doing that. If the Golden Knights torch Connor Hellebuck, yeah, I, I'm not so sure that he's that they have the, the goalie depth, the luxury of having goalie depth like Cassidy has had all season where you had numerous guys step up at different times during the season, whether it was Brassois, whether it was Aiden Hill, whether it was Jonathan Quick. Uh, as of right now, those are the four, the four names listed on the the Golden Knights playoff roster, Jonathan Quick, Aiden Hill, Logan Thompson, Lauren Brissois. The Winnipeg Jets, Connor Hellebuck, David Riddick. Riddick was 9-8-1 with a 2.67 goals against average, 901 save percentage. So, three of the Golden Knights go, uh, goaltenders listed on the playoff roster have a better save percentage than David Riddick. The only one that's less is Jonathan Quick. And that's for the season. That's not just when he was here. This is his overall season mark. So I do think that it's a battle of the goaltenders simply because of Hellebuck, because he's the key for Winnipeg. He's got to stop all these scorers that the Golden Knights put on the ice. If he does, it's going to be a goaltender's battle. Number two. So Draymond Green walking that fine line again. Mm. Last night, 
Kings get it done at home. Raucous crowd. In some places, obnoxious crowd. They're feeling it. They're feeling it. This is not a, an organization that's had a lot of success of late. I'm sure, you know, looking down, I was get confused on where Sacramento actually is in California, but it uh, seems like it should be south of San Fran, but not. Um, you know, they've, they've been looking at Golden State with a lot of jealousy, and now they get their chance to play them, and it's 2 nothing, and they're handing it to these guys, especially physically, and, you know, they got – you got me to snap to start the show. They got Draymond Green to snap, and that is a key in any sort of series. I don't know if when – Sabonis fell to the ground if he was like, hey, you know, th- this is kind of our mission is to grab and clutch and see if he'll do something. Well, he did something. He had his ankle grabbed. He pulls it out. He then stomps and steps off of Sabonis. It looks like, according to uh, Shams, one of the NBA insiders, that uh, nothing is going to happen to Draymond Green in terms of a suspension. But it was a really heated situation. And I'll also throw in, with his reputation of actions like this, because his yeah. excuse was, well, you know, I couldn't couldn't bend my leg forward. I'm not that flexible. Bro, you've had multiple cases where you've injured people and then you've claimed that the body doesn't move that way. Like, there was no reason to kick in the air. And uh, who was it? Chris? Um, Marcus Chris like, broke his hand on a, th- on a, th- a three kick out. Like, it's. Well, didn't he, 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 he kick LeBron? He does stuff like this often. And then the other thing that I think the NBA needs to add in is I'm all for good fun and rivalries and getting the crowd all fired up. He's just, after he gets ejected, he's just standing in front of the crowd. <laughs> Like, like almost daring someone to come down yeah. and go after him. Like, it's a whole package here. Right. It's not just this one action. It's that action plus the screaming at the crowd plus the stuff in his past. And, I mean, you could see this is one of those debatable topics. It had the guys on TNT, Barkley and Kenny and Shaq, like completely fired up. Shaq comes on. And he's like, I, I would do the same thing. And then the other guys start pushing back. Don't be grabbing me because what am I going to do? Like, if I stay there and, and just try to run forward, I'll fall. You got to get him up off you. And if you're up off you and you're in the way, you might get stomped off. Was it a dirty play? Of course it was a dirty play. But then just say that and leave no, no, it off. No, yeah. Don't. Well, hey, if you, you, just you don't it. grab me, this won't happen. You can't go, hey, man, you can't uh, go around. That's so if he never grabbed him, that wouldn't happen. I would agree with that. Okay. So Kenny Smith saying, you know, the start of it was the grab. Yeah. But Shaq then followed it up by saying, I would do the same thing, but it was a dirty play. By the way, you can say the same thing. Like, I would, yes, I would commit a dirty play. Right. Yes, I would lose it. And I would freaking stop on him. Hell, there was a, I don't know if you remember, one of the classic highlights of Shaq's career was he got into it with Chris Dudley, and when he got a chance to freaking jam in Dudley's face, Dudley was a 6'11 big from the Ivy League. He kind of almost laid his his junk in his face, and then when they came down, he was like two-hand push after he jammed on him, and Dudley got pissed off. And these things happen sometimes. I think the NBA is making a mistake here in not sending a harsh message. I'd be fine with both are suspended. Why not do that? Don't grab don't grab his leg cuz you could have jacked up his ankle and the reaction is to not stomp on someone to get away from them. Now you're both out. I think the Draymond I think if Draymond were to draw the suspension he did it in his press conference, and he did it in the taunting of the fans. Because what it says is that I'm going to do what I want, whenever I want it, no matter what. Instead of saying, hey, here's the situation. It wasn't the first time he grabbed me. I yanked my foot away from his arms, and when I came down, I stomped. I had nowhere else to go. I wasn't going to risk injury by trying to step over him and pull a hamstring. But the way he delivered, it was like, hey, you know, my foot's got to go somewhere, and then taunting. But let's not forget, this isn't the first... 
little bit of taunting with the fan. Now, it's a t- totally different situation. We don't know what the fan said to Russell Westbrook, but coming out at halftime, Russell Westbrook gets into it with the fan. So this this whole NBA player interaction with the fan situation is, you know, I, I'm not sure how far it's going to go, and I'm not sure how much of it, you know, you're, you're sort of enticing the – the, the player, too, like the that was one-on-one with Westbrook. The other thing, you can't let the fans get under your skin. No, you're you're you're, you're done for the night, so you're gonna you're going to the locker room. And if you you know if you still got a game to play, you don't want to let that ta- happen. But you still you, you have to avoid those types of situations because that's what they're going to weigh into the entire situation. Number one, everyone's fired up. Our buddy over on Raider Nation Radio 920, JT the Brick, was listening to a radio show today and said defending Draymond for his ejection means either you're a Warriors fan or he's on your podcast payroll. I love him. I think he's great. Yes, he works for my podcast company, but the reason I got him is because he's raw and authentic. By the way, Charles Barkley was an enforcer, and everybody loves Charles Barkley. By the way, I saw a story this week. You know who LeBron wants on the team and Anthony Davis? They want Draymond Green. He's great to have on your side. He's a pain in the you-know-what. To have against you, but when he's on your side, you want him to actually play. And when he flips out and puts himself in harm's way, in the league's harm's way, then there's a chance he can cost you another series. So, I don't know how he plays the rest of the way. I I mean, I guess if they're not going to do anything, they just gave the stamp of approval. You know what, Draymond, do whatever you want. Step on all the guys you want, clothesline them, eye poke them, kick them, whatever. Kings steal game one here in round one against the Edmonton Oilers. It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft on ESPN Las Vegas. Little hockey on the way back. We have to clear up some confusion, although I don't think it's really confusing. You hear a Kings highlight on the way back, LA. We've got Borna Nazari who's on with us, who does believe in Chargers. Bernie, you also do a Padres podcast, right? That is correct, gentlemen. Thanks okay. for having me. How are you? We're good. We're good. We're good. Um, I'm actually doing – I'm asking these questions on behalf of my lady friend, my girlfriend, right, who's a Chargers fan. Um, so, for you, how do you mesh the whole Chargers in L.A. but still, you know, doing Padres podcast? Because I, it's funny. I talk to the sports radio guys, some of them, at 760 in San Diego, and they're like, yeah, we don't talk Chargers anymore. And I look at them, and I'm like, why would you not talk Chargers anymore? I understand there's some bitterness, but there's got to be lots of Chargers fans still residing in San Diego. It's a it's a great question, and I get it all the time, and sometimes with tough feedback. And you know, one thing I'd say is it, it's not like I could just leave the Chargers. I don't know how a lot of people do it. They, right. uh, of course it was tough. They stripped you. They They've left the city, but I don't know how somebody can just be like, you know what, I'm done rooting for them. I'm going to go root for another team or just root for the National Football League. I tried. Um, two two minutes later, I said I'm right back in it. So uh, it, 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 it's it's not the easiest thing in the world because there are those fans, you know, who who are anti-Chargers. But I think a lot of them deep down still watch the team, still root for them, mm-hmm. but more so in silence now. Yep. Yeah, and the, and the question on the home front was uh, she was commenting the other day. She's big Chargers fan, and she's actually from L.A., but she's a big Chargers fan, and someone keeps dropping Padre stuff in, and she's getting all pissed off about it because she's a Dodgers fan. So there's still this unusual melding of San Diego and L.A., which you know both sides are a little bit uneasy with. 
Yeah, I think a lot of Charger fans also, uh, or a lot of, I should say, San Diego fans, like Padre fans, didn't love how the Chargers were embracing the Dodgers, um, you know, after the move to Los Angeles. I think that kind of, you know, turned a lot of Padre fans the wrong way. But listen, it, it, it's been, what, six, seven years now, it feels like, but it, there, there, there's still that, that bitterness and that taste. And listen, I, understandably so, but I think you move on. You, you choose your allegiance and you move on. So let's talk draft here, but we set it up by talking about the offseason so far. They did some uh, renegotiating, reorganizing up some contracts to free up some money. I assume that's going to be for Herbert eventually. But the other big story is Eckler, who they got on a pretty economical deal. Um, he's he's making good money, but it's not great money. How do you think that situation is going to work out? I just I don't see the Chargers you know, kind of bending the knee with Austin Eckler and going, hey, here's four years of 12 million a year. Listen, it's a great question. Austin Eckler is contractually obligated to play for the Chargers in 2023. That's just the fact, all right? Austin Eckler turns 28 years old in a month. It's pretty concerning if you're a franchise to give another guy. And listen, don't get me wrong. Austin Eckler is incredibly underpaid. But it was him. It was his representation that signed that deal You know, back in 2020. It's very tough to understand what the Chargers are going to do here with Austin Eckler. You can trade Austin Eckler, but you're not going to get the value in return. You're going to get a day two, day three draft pick, right? Austin Eckler can contribute significantly to the Chargers this year. And I think after that, if he wants to get $50 million over the next four, congratulations to the team who's going to be signing him. It's not going to be the Los Angeles Chargers. I'll tell you that. Tom Prolesco and that ownership group is very delicate and fruitful in terms of where they allocate the resources. It's not to say they're cheap, but I don't think they're going to give a 28 now, next year, 29-year-old running back that kind of money. And they've been trying to do some things to you know, limit his workload more in the pass-catching game. But, listen, you see guys like Bijan Robinson this year's draft. Chargers could maybe take him in the first round. That will be said. But I don't think they're going to give Eckler an extension. Speaking of Borna Nazari, uh, at the Hogwatch on Twitter, covering the Chargers. So I'm reading the, the needs for this team. It's almost like reading the Raiders' needs between edge defender. Uh, they need a tight end. They're looking to DBs. Uh, where, where, what's at the top of, of the Chargers' need list when, when they go in next week? You, you know what? This is not going to be a, a, a sexy response. But, you know, a lot of people are saying tight end. A lot of people are saying edge. I'm going to go with the interior defensive line. I think that is a very high need for the Los Angeles Chargers heading into next week. And, and here's a few reasons why. I feel like countless years we talk about the Chargers' inability to stop the run. I know everyone wants to find the next Nick Bosa, but I don't want the sexy pick. I want the pick that's going to cause Chargers fans to stop having to pull their hair out and allowing teams to run six yards per carry every single time against this Chargers team. So I see guys like Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame could potential option at 21 for the Chargers. They need to find an interior defensive lineman who can help this run defense. Listen, they were able to re-sign Morgan Fox, but Austin Johnson and Ogbonny are both coming off significant knee injuries. Braden Fajoko left in free agency. So out of Sebastian Joseph Day and those guys I just named, they're very, very thin there. So they whipped on Jerry Tillery in 2019. I know he went to your Raiders. We shall see. It's not sexy. It's not fun. But I want to start stopping the run. And in Brandon Staley's tenor, we haven't been able to do so. So I'm actually circling at interior defensive line. And if there's opportunity there in the first round, I'm pouncing on it. Once again, speaking of Borna Nazari, coming live, talking Chargers on ESPN Las Vegas. You know, I'm curious, ever since they, they had this big buildup, right? The Chargers were supposed to be the next big thing in the AFC West. I kind of find it coincidental that when Gus Bradley left, came here, pilfered the defense – 
They've sort of been a disappointment. Herbert's been there. The offense has sort of clicked, but the defense hasn't held up. Is uh, I mean, could that be tied in a little bit? It's you know I, I think a lot of a lot of us have the questions of why hasn't this really come together? Right on the surface, you're going to take a look at a team that won ten and seven last year and made it to the playoffs. You say you would say okay, but you watch the year. The team never really had the ability to run the football. But I know you asked certainly about the defense. I, I don't think Brandon Staley, you know, quite frankly, managed the defense to the best of his capabilities. And listen, this was his scheme. He brought in the guys that he wanted to. He was with Khalil Mack in Chicago. Right? He was with Bryce Callahan in Denver and Chicago under the Vic Fangio tree. These are his guys. From a personnel perspective, you could argue that they had a great defense. Now, it's not Brandon Staley's fault that the Chargers get hurt every single year. But that's, I guess it's an organizational infrastructure argument that we can have. Year in and year out, this whole defense was decimated with injury, decimated with injury. So I, I don't think it's fair to completely peg the entire blame on Brandon Staley. But listen, this is now, you know, we're starting to get really deep into the Staley tenor. It's up to him to fix this defense, and it's, and it's this year, or it's now or never in the Staley era. So I know a lot of people were saying Brandon may get fired this offseason. This is the year for Brent Staley. This team needs to win 11-plus games. They need to win a playoff game, and, and that's a bare minimum. I mean, this is a team that had Justin Herbert on a, a rookie deal. They're going to have to pay him very shortly, and it's now or never for this Chargers franchise. Yeah, going back to the draft, I'd like to see them start to develop some younger wide receiver depth, and also because of J.C. Jackson and his situation health-wise and just the way he played. Um, yeah, I know you mentioned the importance of interior defensive linemen, and it is important, but – uh, getting more cornerbacks and, as you suggested, cornerbacks who can stay healthy. So I think wide receiver and cornerback have to be a need in this draft. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the receiver question is really fun because you look, you take a look at last year, and it seems like almost every receiver hit, right? I mean, you had Olave, Garrett Wilson. I can keep going down down the pecking order with that. And, and, and this year, you look at the Chargers receiving core, and I have a lot of people say, you know, born at Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. How could you be complaining? But they don't really have that speedster. They don't have a guy who can break the back, right, of that last line of defense. And, and, and could you imagine Justin Herbert having one of those guys? I mean, he can, he can throw the ball 80 yards down the field. So, uh, you know, having that guy who can just break the back of the defense is great. Keenan Allen is not getting any younger. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's not an explosive guy. He's a chain mover. Right? Someone like Mike Williams can't stay healthy, and he's a 50-50 ball guy, but he's not going to blow the back off the defense. So, I couldn't agree more. I think finding a wide receiver for this Charger team is important. You know, Telesco hasn't really loved taking them in the first round outside of Mike Williams. Does that change this year? Stay tuned. They uh, Well, Herbert did and the Chargers did. They made some money for DeAndre Carter. So uh, he got his career <laughs> kind of resurrected to another level. So we're going to see him closer to home. Yeah, I, the reason I mentioned receivers, I don't think Mike Williams is long for the Chargers after this year. Um, and I'm also curious to see – if I don't think there's permanent damage that could be done, but Herbert was a different quarterback than we expected. You mentioned the injury of some of the weapons, but uh, or the you know the injury to some of the weapons, but the the checkdown stuff in Lombardi's offense. I mean, I would hope that Kellen Moore is bringing in if they feel like they have the weapons a more freewheeling offense to take advantage of the deep ball because last year that got, I mean, pathetic's a strong word, but it was kind of ridiculous misuse of arm talent with Herbert dumping off all the time. Oh, no. I mean, you can say pathetic. Don't worry about it. I mean, here's the deal. Justin Herbert is going to throw the ball 50 times a game for the team to 
hope they can win a football game. And, and another issue is, listen, everyone's going to credit Austin Eckler for the great year. He had all, all of his fantasy owners. But from a sheer point of running the ball, you know, in between the trenches, we couldn't do that. The Chargers couldn't do that at all. And, and that was a big issue because then play action was, became ineffective. Justin Herbert had no time in the pocket. Defenses would send the house, and he'd have to check down the ball. So I think it all comes down to running the football. Can this Charger team establish some sort of run game in between the tackles? Because if they're able to do so, it's going to open up the entire playbook for Kellen Moore and the Chargers. So interesting to see what they do at the running back position. Are they hoping for Josh Kelly to have a bigger year? You know, what about Isaiah Spiller, a rookie they took out of A&M uh, a year or so ago? But they really need somebody. That's not who Austin Eckler is, right? He's not a guy who's going to run the ball 25 times a game down your opponent's throat. So I've heard Charger fans say Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know about that, but they need somebody who could be a little bit of a bruiser to help open up the offense for Kellen Moore and Herbert. Borna, we appreciate it. Everyone in uh, Vegas, if you're a Charger fan, AFC uh, West fan, uh, check out Believe in Chargers podcast. Is uh, Lorenzo Neal's on that as well. And one quick pop, what's your uh, Padres podcast? It's called The Hog Watch. It's literally what my Twitter handle is. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We do daily post-game shows about the Padres. So I'm not sure if there's a lot of Padre fans in Vegas, but if you are, go check it out. <laughs> All right, Borna, thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, there's a Pod Squad fan base here because they're on TV. Yeah, we've gotten good exposure to them, and obviously – Deep ties all the way back to the stars. Triple A baseball team. Yep. So we're a mixed market when it comes to baseball. A mixed market. Yeah, this is a make or break year for the Chargers. They got to step up uh, way beyond what they did a year ago. Good step, playoffs, but go further than that. A real important piece to our team, as everybody knows, Um, not only on the ice, off the ice, everything he brings. So um, fortunate to have him. We didn't know how it would play out, to be perfectly honest. There was obviously a lot of medical boxes he had to check off before he could get back in the lineup. He's been able to do that. Credit to him, credit to our medical team for getting him up to speed. Just have to be careful. We don't expect too much. His first game in a long time, but no matter what, it'll be a positive influence for us. We'll see how we... How he does. He'll play with Stevie and uh, Amel. That's uh, the intent right now. That line was, was good earlier in the year. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Play with Stevenson and Amadio. To translate. Stevenson and Amadio. Mark Stone. Talk there from Bruce Cassidy. They're going to watch him closely. It was a line that actually did good when Stone was in because everyone was shocked at Amadio's, cause, but they brought his level of play up. So I have no problem with that line. And the only thing I had a problem with with uh, Cassie saying when he said, you know, he'll, we'll have to ease him in, we'll have to, you know, it's, dude, it's hockey, it's playoff hockey, things are moving fast. There's no easing yeah, yeah. in. You get on the ice, you're going. And you're not telling Mark Stone to go 50% or just take it easy. No, he's going. And he's a feisty dude. Don't I mean he, he'll mix it up. So big dude. Yeah, bigger than you think. Six four, way over two bills. Strong. He 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 gets that look on his face, and he'll throw. That'd be great. First night back, he throws. It was a great hit last night, Matt Dumba. Taking Joe Pavelski out, the Wild, the Stars. I had t- both games on. I was going back and forth. You said you weren't surprised by the Wild. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised by either one. I, I actually wrote the Wild up for uh, a little sports betting preview. I thought that they were going to win. I didn't know it was going to go to OT but and how it was going to be done. But I definitely thought – I'm a big 
proponent in the playoffs, NBA and NHL, that if you think a team can win the series, if it's if it's you know you look at the odds, you look at how close, uh, you have to play the road team in Game One. It's the most important game because that's where you're going to get their all. You're going to get their all in Game Two, sure. It's, but if they go down 0-1, it's tougher. I think the most important game for the obviously the road team is that first game, and then you have to decipher, can that team win the series? I think the Minnesota Wild can beat the Dallas Stars. I think that they have two quality goaltenders. And I, I like I just like Minnesota Wild's physical style of play. And I think that they can I think Dean Evison can coach right there with Peter DeBoer. So I wasn't surprised. The Kings, just as we talked about with Millard, I wasn't shocked. I mean, you have to attack that team. You have to come at it. You got the two greatest players on the planet in terms of or in the league in terms of Leon Dreisidel and Connor McDavid. That tandem alone but then from the, the Kings have been playing well all season. It wasn't too long ago where the King we were talking about the Kings possibly playing for the Pacific Division. So, yeah. Three games on the way. They're uh, dropping the puck right now for Tampa and Toronto, which is certainly worth a watch. Mm. Rangers up 2-0, five minutes left in the first. Rangers 2-0 on the Devils. Game in town, Golden Knights 6-30 against the uh, Peg. It's one fifty-five now on the side of VGK. And then the Avs are massive favorites against Seattle. At minus two oh five. I got Seattle. Series or tonight? Tonight. Okay. Not joking. I didn't think you were joking. I um, just as I just said, I think you know, I mentioned it earlier in terms of the series. Let's not forget the Colorado Avalanche. They have Nathan McKinnon, but they're missing Gabriel Landeskog. That's the captain. And last year, his point, his offensive production went up. His expected goals for uh, expected goals for rate last postseason was sixty three point eight seven percent across twenty games, fourth among all NHL players who appeared in at least ten games, and uh, you know minus him, it's kind of like Stone, right? You, you count on his offense, you count on his captainship, his presence. Seattle's scrappy, and they got Philip Grubauer, who's four two and one all time against Colorado, fourteen nine and one all time in April. 2.38 goals against average. I like the crack of the night. 364-1100, caller 7, battle for Vegas softball game, Gridiron versus the Ice. It's Saturday, July 22nd, LV Ballpark. Tickets on sale now, Ticketmaster.com. Caller 7 right now wins the tickets for the July softball game. 364-1100, 364-1100. And Don't be grabbing me because what am I going to do? Like if I stay there and, and just try to run forward, I'll fall. you got to get them up off you. And if you're up off you and, and you're in the way, you might get stumped off. Was it a dirty play? Of course it was a dirty play. But then just say that and leave no, it alone. No, yeah. Don't. Well, hey, if you just you said don't it. grab me, this won't happen. You can't go, hey, man, you can't no, go no, around. That's so if you never grabbed them, that wouldn't happen. I would agree with that. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with Sammy P. Sam Pennyadovich is in. You hear uh, Shaq and Kenny and Chuck arguing over Draymond Green and DeMonta Savonis. Was it dirty or not? Sam, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, my man. Doing well. Was it dirty, and should Draymond be suspended for a game? Should Sabonis be suspended as well? I don't think either guy should be suspended. Um, I'll tell you what. Like the the one thing I take from this issue, this entire issue, is that Draymond Green is like the seventh or eighth best player on the Warriors at this point, and Steve Kerr's in a weird spot because if he takes Draymond out of the rotation and you know limits his minutes. 
he's going to lose that locker room because it'll combust from the inside. But if you watch the last two games, Draymond is old, he's fat, and he's slow. And, and that's why the Kings have been playing so well because they get to the cup pretty much at will, and oftentimes it's guys like Draymond who are getting beat up the dribble by these younger, quicker players like Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox. And, and that's why the Kings are winning because they're younger, they're quicker, they're faster, and, and they're getting basically whatever they want. And Draymond Green is the biggest problem on the Warriors' side. He's like the microcosm of their team. They're getting old really fast. So, bet Sacramento for the series, or is all the value gone? Well, I don't, I don't know that you want to jump into the pool now. I mean, <laughs> before the uh, series started, Golden State was like minus 290, and the Kings came back 240 on the dog side. And, and even before game two, you know, you're watching that line go, and Golden State's still minus 140, and you're like, wow. Like, you know, when I was 19 years old gambling illegally, I would have bet everything I had on the Warriors minus 140, right? And, and – after two games, man, they're, they're not the better team. I think they have the best player in Steph Curry, but the Kings are a better team. We'll see what happens when we go back to Sacramento, or, uh, Golden State. Excuse me. I mean, look at that line. It tells you that the Warriors are probably going to be in a good spot to win that game. They're a seven-point favorite on the Open, bet up to seven and a half, and I think the league is going to make sure that the Warriors get some calls. But uh, can Steph Curry score 35, 40 points a night going forward? He might have to. That might be the only way the Warriors can win the series. You know whose sternum I want to stomp on, Sammy P, is the guy who replied to you and said, there's no way the Lakers are going to win that series. Because I'm right there with you and like the Lakers at the beginning. That's why I liked your tweet. I don't remember if I replied to it. But what are we doing with the Lakers series? Are we just going to keep betting the Lakes, you and I? There's no size really inside for Memphis. Now, okay, you can give me JJJ, the defensive player of the year. But without Steven Adams and without Brandon Clark, this Grizzlies team has no depth in the paint. And you think about the things that the Lakers have really changed in the last, what, six to eight weeks. They're going inside more with Davis. They're posting up Braun more. And when those guys eat inside, then they go outside. And guys like Austin Reeves, um, you know, those guys have been making these jump shots for this team. And, and they've really been a physical, defensive-minded team. And, and Memphis is built that way. But like I said, with, with two of their best three bigs on the shelf – how do they beat the Lakers? And then we also know this. I mean, Steve and Willie, we talk about this every year on this program. The league is at its best when the biggest names go far. And I'm sorry, the Lakers making a run is sexier than the Grizzlies making a run at this point because it's the twilight of LeBron's career. Like, they want to see this guy go far. And I think given that combination, LeBron and Anthony Davis, those are the two best players, I think, on the court. Um, I, I don't, I don't see the Grizzlies winning this series with all that lack of size inside. You got to stop guys like Davis, and um, I don't know that that's going to happen either. The Grizzlies it would be a fun story, would be considering how they were built with Taylor Jenkins and so on and so forth. How much do you think the Jamal, uh, the Ja Morant incident hurt that image in which, as you say, in in your eyes, the league wanting one to go further than the other? How much did that little image hurt? It certainly didn't help. Um, and, and again, I mean, when we're having this conversation, it's not, I'm not saying the league is like carrying the Lakers through the series, but I, I think when you look at the ratings and the potential for getting that Los Angeles market to make a run, like that's, that's clearly better for the NBA. I mean, in a perfect world, it's the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bulls, the Knicks. I mean, those are the teams making runs every year, and that doesn't happen. That's obvious, but 
Yeah, man. I mean, coming into that series, I looked at the injury report for Memphis, and I, I thought that was a problem. But, no, I, I don't think it's like Adam Silver going, okay, we like LeBron more than we like John Morant. But um, it's clear the league is going to make more money because more eyeballs will be on the product if it's the Lakers in the Western Conference Final than, than Memphis. Sam Petiatovich on Cofield and Company with Willie Cofield right here on ESPN Las Vegas, ESPN Reno. Wow. The sharing of rumors from media people around the NFL and the effect it has on the NFL draft numbers is pretty incredible. Now Bryce Young is up to minus 1050. I saw you guys had a tweet. Well, you did up on your Twitter account at, at SP Shoot. Uh, I saw DraftKings has Bryce Young at minus 1400 to go number one. What has happened? They don't want to write any more bets on Bryce Young. That's yeah. it. Because it, it seems almost a done deal that he's going one, um, which is funny. You know, two weeks ago, C.J. Stroud was the betting favorite at minus 250, minus 300, despite there not really being any you know, validation behind him going one. Like Nobody ever came out and said they love C.J. Stroud, especially Carolina. People just assumed that, well, the Panthers and uh, Josh McCown and you know, like maybe Josh McCown and C.J. Stroud are, are friends or whatever, but none of that stuff matters. I mean, it's all about who the owner, Tepper, wants to take. And, you know, I think we discussed this last week, too. I, I said I was I was told that Tepper told insiders close to him that he was going to trade and, and get Bryce Young back in February. And that, that looks like that's the case. And, you know, we saw the report uh, from one of the NFL reporters that Bryce Young has canceled all of his other meetings with other teams. So, at this point, you might as well make Bryce Young minus three thousand. Like you don't want to write any more bets at Young minus fourteen hundred. That's that's clearly what it is. Like the books think he's going, the insiders think he's going. Everybody thinks it's Bryce Young number one. And and your follow up question: Well, should we bet somebody else? The answer is no. I, I don't think there's any chance. Uh, I shouldn't say any chance, but I'd say it's like ninety five percent Bryce Young number one. Which again, we sort of talked about last week on this program. Sam Paniotovich, SP Shoot, up on Twitter, Fox Sports, and Nesson. You had a story about Tyree Wilson. You think he's moving up the charts? If you can get the numbers, should you be putting money yeah. down on him to go somewhere in the 2-5 to five range? Well, we bet top five, and I wrote the story, yeah, like you said, on Fox. We bet top five at 3-1, to one, and that was last Wednesday or Thursday. That number is no longer available. I think you could, you could find plus 130 or plus 140 if you're shopping around, but uh, those of you in Nevada, Caesars has Kyrie Wilson under six and a half at minus one sixty. Now, I know we don't love laying one sixty every day, especially on a routine basis. But I'll tell you what, man. Like I think by draft night, somebody in the top six is going to say, "Hey, we love this kid, and we're going to take him if he's there." And if that's the case, we've seen this in, year, in years past with Kyle Pitts and Trey Lance, and you know, guys, guys are basically promised they're going to go. And then all of a sudden, you know, draft night, Tyree Wilson goes from minus 140 to go under 6.5 to minus 400. I mean, you just brought up the Bryce Young number. It was minus 300 last week, and yeah. now it's minus 1,400. So these numbers tend to run, and then there's no buyback the other way, and that's, that's the problem. There's no sharp, like a football game. Say, say sharps lay 3, 4, 5, and 6. Well, some sharp group's going to take 6.5. There's no buyback in drafts because it's all, it's all one way. Um, so if you have a Caesars uh, out in Nevada, I, I would look at Tyree Wilson under six and a half at minus one forty six six two seventy gets to the quarterback, still getting bigger and stronger. I mean that that's a guy who's built for the modern league right now. Uh, back to uh, some NFL current NFL players. Demar Hamlin was cleared today. 
I saw you tweet about comeback player of the year. Ari thought your Demar Hamlin tweet was a little strange. I'd like to let Ari speak for himself, but I know that's not allowed on this program. So, um, <laughs> not I don't not not true at all. Not true okay. at all. An absolute yeah. lie. But uh, he won't. Okay. But he all won't. Right. He won't turn on his lie. microphone. Right. Uh, it's on. Okay. What do you know? I was just asking so, so if, what's the deal, Ari? if you were what's being, up? were you trying to be like punny or anything like that, or you're just being genuine? I, I took the word snap. I wasn't sure what you were referring to, so that's all. So it, it just reminds me to in 2020 when Alex Smith took the field and half of the league reporters were like, well, he's the comeback player of the year. I wasn't trying to be facetious or that's I wasn't I was trying asking. to be disrespectful. It's it. just that's. That's the way the writers are. They're narrative-driven, especially that award. That was the year, remember, Ben Roethlisberger broke his elbow in week two the previous year. And, and he comes back from that. The Steelers started like 9 or 10-0. and 0. He threw 35 touchdowns and had like six interceptions. He was clearly the comeback player of the year. But they gave it to Alex Smith because he almost lost his life in a leg injury. And, and like, you know, he wasn't even good when he came back. But that doesn't matter. Like, it's not... It's not statistical. It's it's what what's a better story? And Demar Hamlin losing consciousness on the field and coming back and playing is going to that that that's it's done. If he takes a single snap, he's the comeback player of the year. Even though he might have a tackle, maybe um, it, it doesn't matter. It's it's narrative driven, and that's the way the voters are going to go. It's a great answer. I disagree. He answered my why. Question. I disagree. Why do you disagree? I dis. I agree with everything you said outside of all he needs is one snap. If he takes one snap and doesn't play the rest of the season, it's not a lock. It's just not. If Brock Purdy, for some reason or another, is able to go the second half of the season and leads the team into the playoffs, although they'll just look at the regular season, he's a candidate. It's not. It's going to take because you said you weren't being facetious. So when I read that tweet, I said to myself, "Okay, I'm not sure." That same thing, I was thinking, okay, are you trying to make a point or are you serious? And if you're dead serious that he's just got to make one snap, you're saying, one snap, not one game, he's got to come out for the first series for the Bills and then leave, he's the comeback, I disagree. There are other stories out there that would garner enough attention that they would deserve it over him. Based on the writers, I get it and I know what you're saying, but it's going to take more than one snap. I think it should, Willie. That's that's the point. And, but I but I know the way that these writers are, and they are oftentimes more cause driven than they are statistically driven. And I look, I, I think I wrote a story on NBC, and I was like Ben Roethlisberger. This is again three years ago. I said Ben Roethlisberger has been the most incredible story because nobody said he'd be able to throw a football again, and now he's got thirty five touchdown passes and four thousand yards, and the Steelers are undefeated. Mm. But Half the league is still going to vote for Alex Smith because yep. it's a better story, and mm. it, and it's it's more tear jerking, than Ben Roethlisberger playing well. Sammy P is with us. Let's close out on this. I saw a tweet from uh, Patrick Everson showing off some Chicago thin crust pizza. I also saw up on your feed at SP Shoot some New Haven pizza. Is it a contest between New Haven and Chicago? It's a contest. You know what I'm going to say, though. I still think <laughs> Chicago tavern-style pizza is my go-to. I mean, that's my favorite. But I've been out here in New Haven, New England for a while, and dude, the pizza is phenomenal there. I mean, it's it, – I mean, I think, I think the pizza – yeah, I think it's phenomenal. I mean, I love Chicago more, but I think New Haven pizza is pretty good. You don't? I'm looking at the picture, Sammy P. The second one that Gary tweeted, if, you, if you're, you're going – You're talking about what, New Haven? Yeah, New Haven. Yeah. Oh. 
I mean, that's is about. I mean, that's the one that right there it catches my eye. That it look, if it looks like New York style pizza, that's the one I'm choosing. There you go. So the final word, Sam. The final word. That's not a lie. He was telling the truth there. Sam, <laughs> we we appreciate it. Thank you. Spirited Tuesday spot. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you, boys. There you go. I don't know when I'm ever going to be in New Haven. I don't see any reason to ever go to Connecticut again. But for the pizza, might be worth it. I'll order some in. I'll have it flown in. You're going to have it flown in? Some New Haven pizza flown in. All right, on the way back, NFL Insider, Miles Simmons.